them to the book of Genesis. We're going through this book. We're going to focusing really upon chapter 37, but before we get there, I'm going to do a little bit review. We haven't covered chapter 36 yet, but it deals with a lot of genealogies. But there's a couple things in there that's pretty important. Yesterday, we had a good time here. We offered our community a safe alternative to the madness of Halloween. And so uh, kids had a good time. We've had a almost a thousand people come through, which was a good thing. And uh, so it's always a good thing to reach out to our community every way we can to protect them and to love them. And so I want to especially thank all of you that had a hand in that and for all those that helped set things up and break things down. And and uh, so anyway, Lord bless you. Thank you very much for uh, what, you, what you've done. Following the service this morning, we do have uh, coffee and donuts for everybody, and we have some hot cider and all kinds of good stuff like that. So if you'd like to stay and have that, I think you'll enjoy it. If you have your Bible again, we're in Genesis chapter 37, but before we get there, we're going to look at a little bit review. Let's pray. Father, as we go to your word this morning, we ask you now that your Holy Spirit would come now and teach us in a very special way, that we would remember what we learn, and God, that we can apply it to what we uh, what we are faced with every day in, in this life we live. And so we ask you now that you would speak to us and encourage us in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis chapter 34, God told Jacob, get up, leave the house of Laban, your father-in-law, and go to Bethel. So he packs up, loads up the truck on his way to Bethel. But instead of going to Bethel, he makes a left turn and goes to Shechem where God didn't tell him to go. This is where his sons, because of a rape of his daughter, killed all the men in the city. And we remember that uh, we talked a little bit about this, that this was sons two and three in the lineage of the 12 sons of of, uh, Jacob. And so then we also found last week uh, in uh, chapter... 35, that Reuben defiled his father's concubine, which would have disqualified him. So the fourth one in line then, the fourth son, is Judah. Now, which is interesting to me, because oftentimes people say, well, wouldn't the firstborn, Reuben, have the birthright of the lineage of Christ? But you see, they forfeited that. We find that... um, Simeon and Levi, sons two and three, killed an entire town, all the males. Then we find Reuben, number one, defiled his father's cock. So it goes to number four, Judah, which Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Now when we come into verse one of chapter 36, we find the genealogy of Esau. Now I'm going to not read all this because it doesn't, if you, I want you to read it on your own. But there's a couple of verses here that I think are important. And that is verse 2 of 36. Esau took wives from the daughters of Canaan. Ada, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and Hamalah, the daughter of Anna, uh, the daughter of Zeban the Hivite. Now you say, what, what's that all about? Interesting, we find this marriage to these two women mentioned back in chapter 26. And there it says that the marriage of Esau to these two pagan women 
greatly distressed um, uh, Jacob and, or excuse me, Isaac and his wife. And so you find this going on and, and uh, making bad choices concerning spouses is always going to be that which not only will distress the parents and the family, but it will distress the person who makes the wrong choice. You see, you want to marry somebody that has the same value system as you do. The idea, well, I'm going to marry him and then I'm going to change him. And it's really called missionary dating, you know, uh, date him, dunk him and drop him. That doesn't work. Really, we have to go back to what is your value? The Bible says, can two walk in together unless they're both in agreement? And so a lot of times people say, well, they'll change after I marry him. Well, I do agree. Quite often they change, but they change for the worse, not for the better. I remember years ago, a girl came to me and she was having a terrible time in her marriage. And I said, what's wrong? And she said, well, he's a raging alcoholic. And I said, well, that's terrible. I said, now let me ask you a question. Did you notice any of this kind of behavior when, we, when you were dating? And she said, well, yeah, when we were dating, he drank a lot. But here's what she said. I didn't think it would become a problem. You see, what is manifested in the courtship will become accelerated in the marriage. And so this is one of the reasons why I believe that the bad choices that Esau made so grieved his mother and father. In fact, I'm just going to read that verse to you because it's so pronounced in, uh, because it, it, it says, and I'll just read it to you, and they were a grief to the mind of Isaac and Rebekah. So not just the dad, but the mom as well were both grieved by the poor choices that um, uh, Esau had made. And so we find then the lineage of this that goes on. Now we come into chapter 37. Like I say, I don't want to deprive you of chapter 36 so you can read it on your own. But let's go to chapter 37. Now this begins one of the most incredible stories in the Bible, I believe. Most of you are aware of it a little bit. Jacob, coat of many colors, brothers insanely jealous of him. They decide they're going to kill him, but instead they sell him into slavery. They take his coat of many colors, dip it in uh, their their, uh, lamb's blood, and then present it to their father and say, look, I guess a wild animal got him and ate him. And we remember that he then, through remaining faithful to God, ends up prime minister of Egypt in which a whole story was to preserve the people of Israel. You know, I I look at this story that we're about to read. God is bigger than the issues of your life, and I like that about God. God. God knows what we need before we ask. And in this particular story, we find in the Bible a picture type of Christ, so undeniable that really you look and see how Jacob sons were jealous of Joseph and they put him in a pit. They rejected him. They put him in a pit. They intended to kill him, but then they sold him into slavery and they sold him for 20 pieces of silver. All of us remember that Jesus was rejected by his brothers, the nation of Israel, put in a, put in a tomb 
and he was sold for 30 pieces of silver. So the parallels between Jesus and Jacob, Jesus said it like this. He said, search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life, but they are which testify of me. And so when we look at the Old Testament, I always look for Jesus. Somehow, some way, some picture type, he himself, something will always come through in who Jesus is. That's why people sometimes will say, well, we're a New Testament church. We don't even teach out of the Old Testament. How tragic. Because Jesus said just the opposite. He said to search the scriptures, in them you think you have eternal life, but they are which testify of me. And Jesus there was referring to the Old Testament, to the Torah and the Talmud. So we find here in chapter 37, verse 1, Now Jacob dwelt in the land of his father. He was a stranger in the land of Canaan. And by the way, the word stranger there just simply means a sojourner. And by the way, we all are sojourning through this life. We came into this world naked, we leave this world naked. There's no U-Hauls behind hearses. And so when our time to go is gone, you want to be sure you did the best with what God had given you to further the kingdom of heaven. Now it says, this is the genealogy of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers And the lad was with the sons of Bildah, the sons of Zephah, his father's wives. Joseph brought a bad report to them, to his father. Um, They were goof-offs. His brothers were goof-offs. And so he goes and he he, um, exposes and he says, Dad, man, these guys are a bunch of goofballs. And so anyway, tells us here, Israel loved Joseph more than all the other children because he was the son of his own old age and made him a tunic of many colors. This tunic was simply a coat. This is where we get the coat of many colors. But it's really weird the way it comes across from the Hebrew into the English because really it not only speaks of something bright, but it also is a different kind of coat. In those days, workers wore sleeveless coats. That way they wouldn't be encumbered as they're working. But the Bible here tells us, it indicates in the Hebrew, that the coat that he wore had sleeves on it. Now this is something that workers didn't do, but rather bosses or those of authority would wear. Kings would wear coats with sleeves. Because again, they're not out in the field working, but they're magistrating or they are bringing forth the commands from the government. So he had this special coat. Well, it just screams of favoritism. Now, this is probably a little bit of ignorance on behalf of of, uh, Jacob because you got to realize and any of you that have kids know you show favoritism to one kid over another you're going to have a war on your hands when I was a child I remember my mom would give us a candy bar me and my sister and she says now you cut it in two and give your sister half well of course I was always going to cut the bigger half for me and the smaller half for her No, no, no. Mom and dad figured a way around that one. Okay, Mike, you cut the candy bar in two and let your sister choose which half she wants. You can bet I had that down to a gnat's hair. 
But see, the thing is, is that you show favoritism, jealousy comes up. That's why moms and dads, you want to be real careful. I know sometimes in the course of a lifetime, we can get attached more to maybe one of our children over another. But nevertheless, you must never let them see that because down the road, it'll cause problems. And I really believe that, again, we want to be fair with our kids. Well, Jacob loved um, (laughs) Rachel. And Rachel's son, her first son, was Joseph. And so not only was he, uh, uh, Joseph, a son of his old age, but also of his favorite wife. That's the one he wanted. He didn't want all the other women he got. He just wanted Rachel. But what happened was, on wedding night, after he worked for seven years for Rachel's hand in marriage, In the morning he woke up. Now, I don't know what kind of parties they had going on. And I don't know what kind of lighting they had. But he didn't realize he got the ugly duckling sister in the morning. Pulls by, whoa, what's this? Ugly duckling sister. He's mad. He goes down to Laban and said, Laban, I worked for you for seven years for the hand of the girl that you promised me, your daughter. And instead you give me Leah. She's ugly. And he goes, you're not country. It's customary. The older daughter gets married first. So that's why you got her. And so if you work for me another seven years, I'll give you the other one. Wow. Now all of a sudden he's got two wives. He didn't want two wives. He only wanted one. But he got two. Well, then comes the time of having kids. Leah, on the other hand, was starting to have a lot of kids. Uh, uh, Jacob was having relationships with her and she started having a lot of kids. Rachel couldn't have kids. Something was wrong. So he goes, she goes to Jacob and says, here, take my handmaiden, have babies with her. Okay, things all of a sudden kind of go off the rails here a little bit. So now he's having kids with another woman And when Leah sees it, she says, well, if you're going to do that with your handmaiding, he can help. So now he's servicing four women. This is kind of X-rated stuff. Then we read about last week that Reuben defiles his father's concubine. Now, I don't know if this was the same one of the four or one of the two, the handmaidens, or whether this was another whole player. I don't know. He ends up with 12 sons, the 12 sons of Israel, the 12 patriarchs. Now, the reason I say this is this reason. God in his goodness knows we are failures by nature. We have an old sin nature that breaks down. We want to do right, but we don't do right. What I want to do, Paul says in the New Testament, I don't do, and what I don't want to do is the things I do. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this death? You ever notice that? We have a desire to do what's right. And, and you know, one of the things that happen, I believe, when we're a Christian, when we become born again, when you become born again, you don't do everything right. How many people know that? Amen? Amen. Okay, we know that. But there's a desire in our hearts to do what's right. I got a very, I got a really unique phone call 
onto every man and answer this past week. And a person calls in and says, my, um, I, I, I was on vacation, I, I was on a motorcycle vacation, and I came to a town, I believe it was in New Mexico, and this guy come up to me and tapped me on the shoulder and asked if I would pray for him. Now, by the way, friends, I believe we radiate much more of Jesus than we think, okay? And said, would you pray for me? Now, this guy had been drinking. He was what we would call a homeless or, in the old vernacular, a bum. And tapped him on the shoulder and said, would you pray for me? And so he did. And he began to share Jesus with him. And he said, does drinking bother you? And he said, yes. He said, he said I'm a, I accepted Christ, but when I drink, it bothers me. Well, that's the Holy Spirit in him. He knew what he was doing was wrong. The Holy Spirit was convicting him. He really didn't want to do it, but he's hooked up. And so thus is the thing. He prayed for him and, and uh, couldn't find him again. He tried to locate him. The point is, is this. Before we're saved, we do what we want to do. We don't care who we offend, what we offend. I want it. I'm doing it. End of, end of message. But when we become born again, God puts his spirit inside of us. And now there's a conscience. And though we may not always do what we know God wants us to do, the longing of our soul is to be about our father's business. That's what we want to do. God, I'm sorry I fall down and skin my nose. And, and you know, so many Christians have, and, and people in the world that are not Christians say, well, I, I'd be a Christian, but I'm afraid I'll fail. First of all, let me tell you, you will. But that doesn't mean you don't be a Christian because 1 John says, if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, which is Christ Jesus. In other words, we have a lawyer that will plead our case for us being rascals before our Father in heaven. That's good news. You need that. Because first of all, what that does, God forgives our sin. But second of all, he removes the guilt. Guilt will paralyze you from moving ahead. If you're a Christian here today, you're living in the sins of your past. Your guilt is killing you. Look at what I didn't do right. And by the way, that's why David said his promises are new every morning. We study the life of King David. We'll get to him eventually here as we're going through the Bible. And you're going to find that David was far from what we would call a righteous man. The whole thing with Bathsheba and, and her husband and, and getting the war super hot, putting her husband in the front line so he could get killed, so he could cover for a pregnancy where he messed around with his wife. I mean, this guy was all over the road. But when confronted, he knew what he did was wrong and he was sorry. Oftentimes in our lives, we, we, we put a level on ourselves that really only Christ could ever be. Well, a real Christian doesn't do that. You're right. They don't. That's why I, my faith is in him. Because he's the one that's going to make the difference in my life. The minute that I think that there's any good thing that dwells in me, in the flesh, we're fooling ourselves. Our righteousness comes 100% friends from Christ. We put on his righteousness. And I believe that's what's so important when we look at this because if we think our righteousness generates from ourselves in some way, you don't need Jesus anymore. 
And so when somebody says, well, I, I keep the Sabbath, or I don't eat pork, or, you know, I wear blue, or I have undergarments, or I have a plastic statue on the dashboard of my car, or, you know, I, I have this really nice, you know, a giant three-foot-by-two-foot Bible on my coffee table, or whatever it is that somehow we think, hey, this is going to make me something. doesn't make us anything. might make you a little broke. might make you a little foolish. But our righteousness comes from Christ. The Bible says he is our righteousness. What makes you good here today? Jesus. Why do you get to go to heaven? Well, I'm a pretty good guy. Wrong answer. The reason you and me get to go to heaven is because he's righteous and we have put on his righteousness. And that righteousness from Jesus has now transformed us from death unto life. It's like a corpse laying in a coffin. And you prop him up and you get the coat of righteousness and you wrap it around him and all of a sudden he comes back to life again and he gets up out of the casket and now he's walking around and and people are going, that's amazing. But the minute you take that coat off of him, he goes limp and goes dead. Your righteousness, my righteousness, is what causes us to be alive. And it's not something we generate in ourselves. It is not something religion does. Religion is a weird thing. Because religion appeals to the flesh. Now, Jesus Christ, his righteousness appeals to our spirit. But religion appeals to the flesh. Look what I did. I crossed all the I's. I dotted the T's. I don't worship on this day. I worship on this day. I don't eat this, but I eat this. All these different things. Look how good I am. And God goes, all your righteousness is filthy rags. Wow. I I mean, that's pretty stark. That's a pretty harsh comment God makes. But that's what it says. Our righteousness comes from him. And so we find here, as we continue looking at um, Genesis chapter 37, Joseph was 17 years old. A lot of chiding within the home. A lot of uh, uh, civil rivalries going on. And Jacob comes along now and gives Joseph a coat of many colors. He's a somebody. But now what has happened is jealousy arises within the other brothers. Now notice it says, he was loved more than all the other children because he was the son of the old age. But his brothers saw their fathers loved him more than all of his brothers. They hated him and could not speak to him peaceably to him. I'm really surprised that Jacob didn't pick up on this when he saw the behavior of his children towards Joseph. But you know, sometimes we don't want to know. And by the way, I think sometimes God shows us things in the spirit, and I think we need to listen. (laughs) I think there's a lot there that we can learn by the spirit of God when God begins to show us things. And, and, you know, I, I've talked to people before uh, about this, whether it be uh, in dating or whether it be in business or whatever. And they'll say, you know, it's really funny, Mike. I, 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 you know, they're, they're a Christian. I just had a really bad feeling about this. I said, well, why didn't you act upon it? Well, I, I just didn't think it was going to come to anything. No, I, I, I believe, friends, if you get an unction from the Holy Spirit, 
<laughs> listen. If you're dating and you see something that doesn't look right, listen. Because again, God wants us to have his peace. Not peace is. He wants us to have his peace. My peace, Jesus, I give unto you. Not as the world gives, but the way I give it to you. Why? Because his peace settles your heart. Unfortunately, today, we don't listen. And see, this is one of the things that I've always shared with everyone, is learning to hear God's voice. You know, people have said to me, why was God such a God of miracles in the Bible and not today? Oh, no, 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 no. God's still in the miracle working business. It's just that we haven't tuned our ears, our eyes to his frequency to see the miracles. Isn't it weird? You know, I often think about television. Television is a weird thing. That right now in this room, there are pictures and images and commercials flying through this room. And you say, no, it's impossible. But if you had a TV set, you could pick up the local television stations and watch the news or something else because you have a receiver that picks up that message that you can't in yourself hear. I believe it's the same way it is with Christianity. I believe when we become born again, God takes his little receiver and sticks it into our heart and says, now you're going to be listening to me. And we do. And I believe that when we start seeing things and hearing things that are out of the ordinary, look for God's voice. All the way through the Bible again. And I can't share this with you enough because we as Christians must, and I believe in the days to come, friends, I don't know how nutsy this world is going to get. Maybe this week. I don't know how many people of, of you have heard that uh, Walmart pulled all their guns and all their ammunition off their shelves because they're fearful of unrest this coming week. Scary stuff. And when you stop to think about that for a minute, we need to be tuned into God to learn how to hear him. How did Moses, as an example, hear God's voice? I think it's really interesting. He's out in the wilderness and he saw a burning bush. And he noticed it didn't consume itself. And so after he watched it for a while and it didn't burn up like it should, <laughs> I'm going to go check that out. Goes over there, he gets close to the bush, and all of a sudden a voice comes out of the burning bush. Take off your shoes. Really? When you see something that isn't normal, look for God. It's strange to me, as I study through the Bible, God works in abnormalities. It, it's, it's weird. It's like there's the world that the world lives in, and then there's the world that Christians live in, and we see things different because the Holy Spirit has put that receiver into our heart to hear his voice, to say, hey, notice that, that isn't normal. You're in a store and you look it over and you're just going about your daily business and all of a sudden there's a person over in, in the corner of the, of the store crying. Why did you notice that? Why did you see that? Why was that something that caught your attention? I believe it's God speaking, say, hey, why don't you go over and say, hey, what's going on? Can I help you? See, because this is how God works. We always want to believe that God is the God of miracles in the Bible, but we don't realize that God wants to do miracles for you and me today. 
And when you see something that doesn't make sense, this is God saying, hey, look over here. I remember I used to go witnessing in Las Vegas with a group of Christian friends of mine from a church down in Las Vegas. And I remember we'd get together and we would pray. And and have you ever been to to, uh, Las Vegas on the Strip pre-COVID days? I mean, it's just like millions of people just jammed in the street. It's crazy time. And we'd get in a circle and we'd pray and say, okay, Lord, there's a lot of lost people out here. There's too many people out here for us individually to reach. So you show us who you want us to talk to. And we would pray. And it was the strangest thing because in the myriads of people, there are people everywhere. All of a sudden you look around and and instead, it's like giant neon arrows saying, this one over here. And I remember I saw this guy and he was sitting on a, on a, a bus bench waiting like, and he had his hands in his face and his elbows were resting on his knees. And I, I, and I, I looked around and it, it was like, he was glowing. This is the one you're supposed to talk to. So I walked up to him and I sat down with him and he was crying. And I said, what's wrong? And he goes, you know, everybody's out here. And they think they're having a good time. I'm miserable inside. And I just smile and I go, God, you're good. You know, right where you want us, right when you want us to be there. And so I sat down alongside the guy and I shared the gospel with him and he accepted the Lord. The tears went away. And out of the myriads, the, the, literally probably 50,000, 60,000 people that are on the, 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 the strip, here was a guy that God singled out for us. It was an abnormality. Everybody else was walking around. Here's a guy with his face in his hands sitting on a bench. Look for God's hand. I'm amazed that Jacob did not see the jealousy within his brothers towards Joseph. Verse 5. Now Joseph had dreamed a dream. And he told it to his brothers. And they hated him even more. So he said to them, please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There we were. Binding sheaves in the field. Behold, my sheave arose and also stood upright. And indeed, your sheaves all around bowed down to my sheave. Oh, this probably really warmed his brother's hearts. Hey, look, we're all out binding stuff up. And mine got real big and all yours bowed down to me. Now, they already hated him. And then he says this. Kind of sometimes... I think God can tell us things, but I think sometimes, sometimes they're for you. (laughs) And so he said this, and it really antagonized his brothers. And his brothers said, shall we indeed, shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and his words. Then he dreamed still another dream told it to his brothers and said, look, I have dreamed another dream. And this time the sun, the moon, the 11 stars bowed down to me. 
And so it was told his father and his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I, your mother, your brothers indeed come and bow down to earth before you? And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matters in his mind. You know, um, this is exactly what was going to happen. Because you remember, as we'll read on here, I don't want to get too far ahead of the story, but, but his brothers wanted to kill him. But instead they sold him into slavery and he sold him to a bunch of people going down to a swap meet in Cairo. This is my paraphrase. Potiphar, this guy in the king's court, buys him and makes him ruler over all of his goods. Then, I guess... Joseph was probably one hunky stud because Potiphar's wife makes a move on him. And he runs out of the house. She screams rape. Joseph finds himself in jail. Now, one of the things about Joseph you're going to find who's like a Christ type, you never find one place anywhere where he denied his faith and you never find anywhere in the Bible where he complained. I sometimes think I'm a really good complainer. Because I can complain about things that I shouldn't complain about. But the reason I find I do that is because I don't look at the good things God has done in my life. I look at the lacks or the things I don't have, and that's where I get upset. And so this is why I believe the Bible says to count your blessings. And be thankful in all things, for this is the will of Christ Jesus concerning you. Why does he say that? Because when we count our blessings, when we are thankful, we take inventory of the goodness of God in our life. And I go, yeah, the things I don't have, yeah, I can live without them. Because God, look at all the good things you've given me. You see, I I think again, we're coming up on the Thanksgiving season here in another three weeks. And and the Bible says that that thankfulness is a condition of the heart. If we're not thankful for what we have, we're not going to be thankful for what we get. And so with Jacob, his brothers are jealous. God is revealing to Jacob how God is going to use him in the days to come. His brothers don't understand it, and they get jealous. Princess, same way it is with you. Do you realize you as a Christian, people are jealous of you? Many of your brothers and sisters, your parents... Your children, they're jealous of you because of this. They see the blessing of God in your life. A lot of times people in the world don't recognize the things of God at all. They just don't. They're just spiritually ignorant. But they recognize the blessing of God in your life. They don't know it's God. They think, wow, that person made some really nifty choices in the property that he bought and what he does and where he goes and the occupation he chose. Pure luck. If you're a Christian, it's not luck. It's your dad's kiss on your forehead. It's because he loves you. He cares about you. He sees you. The world doesn't see God in your life. All they see is you are blessed. Now, some days they will. But generally, they want to attribute it to luck or something else. Carmen. It's not. It's your dad in heaven hugging you and blessing you and kissing you. And you see, I have found, friends, 
people of the world don't recognize the hand of God. Unfortunately, I found that many Christians don't recognize the hand of God in their life either. And that's what God wants. You know, it's a wonderful thing when something wonderful happens to you and you know who to thank. Thank you, Lord, for being good to me. We look at this beginning part of Joseph's life with his brothers. He turns 17, great time of life for him. Informs his dad that his brothers are a bunch of goofballs. He starts having dreams of how God will use him in the future. They don't understand it, but by the way, friends, in the world, they don't get it anyway. See, the world right now, it's rushing towards a judgment. You as Christians, if you spend any time at all in God's word, you'll know revelation's going to happen. We know a one world order's on the way. We know there's a one world, uh, an antichrist going to rule. We know it's where it's headed. They don't. They know something's wrong, but they don't know what it is. And that's where you and me come in. And how God will use you. And just as God began to outline for Joseph how I'm going to use you in the future. And as a matter of fact, if it wasn't for this incident that we read about in the Bible here, it may very well be that the Jewish nation would have starved to death because of the great famine that came upon the whole world. And only because Joseph had dreams and could interpret them that he told Pharaoh, there's seven years of plenty and seven years of famine coming. You need to start building barns and storing all this grain because the the famine that's coming is going to be so bad, it's going to gobble up everything you save. And that's where the children of Israel ran out of food. And his brothers go down to Egypt. Joseph has all this Egyptian garb on. They don't recognize him. And here's his straggly brothers come in begging for food. And I bet you probably when he saw that, he probably recognized and said, you know, if all this stuff hadn't happened to me, we'd all died. The hand of God is so important. This morning... Maybe spend most of your time cussing God instead of thanking God. Oh, if only this would have happened. Oh, if this would have happened. I just want to tell you, if you're a Christian here today, God's bigger than the things you've done wrong. And let him be God of your life. We're going to see as we continue studying this story for the next few weeks, this absolutely incredible story that unveils how God works in the midst of even people who want to destroy you. God says, "Uh uh-uh, can't go for that. And God says, I'm going to make it work for your good. But you've got to understand, I am bigger than the circumstances. Don't get angry with that. You thank me, I'll see you through. That's the way God works. That's a good thing. I like that about God. God is bigger than the things that people want to do to you. And God is bigger than the things you've done wrong. How do you lose with that? And the things the devil intended to destroy you, God says, watch this. And he spins it around and he blesses you in spite of it. I like that. That's the hand of God. And friends, today, that's what God wants to do for us. And so learning to see God in an unbelieving world 
Learning to recognize where God's voice is. Learning to see God's direction in our lives. But one of the key things is being thankful. Again, you'll never find Joseph in the Bible. This 17-year-old, you'll never see him complain. You'll never see him deny his faith. And God used him to save the world. Friends, God will use you the same way. He may use you to save your business. He may use you to save your marriage. He may use you to save your family. He may use you to save thousands for his kingdom. Letting God be God. So important. If you're not a Christian here this morning, uh, you need to be. Because things are not working for your good. You think you're winning and you're really losing. God wants you this morning to just say, hey, look, I've ran my life for my lifetime. I don't want another 10 years like I just had. Lord, I'm going to let you do what you want in my life. We're going to pray. And then following that, we're going to have communion. And this is really interesting with communion because we are complex beings. I don't know if you realize how complex we really are. I'm amazed how the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I do do, and how I'm all, all over the road. Why is that? We're complex. You know, people, a lot of times, that kill themselves are in perfect health. They are. But they're sick inside. Their soul is sick. You see, in communion, when Jesus was with those who loved him, he said, the cup is to remind you my blood was shed for you. You're a somebody. And the bread, Peter says, by his stripes were healed. You need to be healed today. You need to be healed of your memories. You need to be healed of your ability to love and to be loved. That's what the bread's for. I grew up in church. I knew what the cup was. I never really fully understood the bread until really, honestly, just in the last 20 years of my Christian experience. That it was for our healing. We're complex. You, you, you can have a, you, your body can be healthy, but you can be sick in your soul. And God says, I want to heal all of it. This morning, if you're not a Christian, communion is, is meaningless. It's, it's, a, it's a ritual without knowing the one who gave it. And Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. We're going to pray. If you're not right with God, you pray and ask God to come in your life. Rededicate your life to the Lord. Say, oh, Lord, I'm sorry I got away. Maybe you haven't, haven't thought much about Jesus since you were in Sunday school. But today's your day. And so we're going to pray right now. And you can let God come into your life. So if you need to pray and get right with God, and then we'll have communion, let God bless you. Repeat this, and he'll do as you ask. He's never failed. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I invite you into my life. I am sorry for the foolish way I've lived. To to define life my way. And I'm not happy. So from this day forward, I commit my life into your hands. Make me the best I can be for you. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. And so fill me now with your Holy Spirit. 
Give me that love to love you more and to love people that don't know you. People around me. And give me boldness to speak for your truth. And thank you for eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen.